Hey guys, welcome back to Seller Sessions. It is part two with Steve Simonson, covering on from part one of a four-part series. Steve, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here, Danny, as always. Cool. Remember, guys, those listening back on the podcast, this will be available on YouTube. There'll be show notes. They'll be on the Awesome podcast. And, of course, you'll be hearing it through the Seller Sessions podcast as well. So without further ado, Steve, should we get into this? Let's get into it. So everybody, uh, if you caught part one, we're doing a little mini series and, and we've broken it down into four segments where the first part is kind of review of context of how we got here. The, this part is going to be kind of about data and triage. And then we're going to add additional kind of data points and then even some speculation in subsequent parts. So don't miss the whole mini series. Really, you know, I could sell this as a masterclass, Danny. Like if I was into that sort of thing, this could be a, you know, two or three or $400 masterclass. And it is really, really important stuff. I think that every person who does cross-border trade should know. You saw kind of a preview of this in London. What do you think? Yeah, indeed. As I said, you know how I operate anyway. I don't do like the big mastermind things. Yes, we do seller sessions live and stuff, but I'm like quite free with the content. We publish 200 episodes or so a year. But like what you said, this is more than about money. This is about getting it out to the people so they can educate themselves, not scaremongering, just get a greater understanding so it gives them a better navigational tools to run their Amazon business. Indeed. And in part one, I left a little bit of a cliffhanger for everybody. And essentially the question was, what if, you know, what happens if we're about to go through the same thing in COVID, the sequel that we did, you know, back 18, 19 months ago? And that's a scary question. But again, as Danny said, this is not scaremongering. This is preparation, right? Awareness leads to preparation. And then you can consider what you want to do with your business. And I'm going to give you some ideas right here as we get going. Now, uh, here's some things that you probably have heard. Uh, Danny, have you heard about the the, the energy crisis that's happening yes. in China? Yeah, as of a couple of weeks ago, I think Sharon did cover some of the information on it. But yeah, there seems to be, it started as like a rumor come out and then the news stories started to appear. And that was what, two or three weeks ago where it started to peak. Indeed. Yeah. And, and just so you know, the peak is still coming. This also happened last year. For anybody who was kind of paying attention, this happened last year, but to a lesser extent. So um, anybody who wants to believe the, the kind of greenwashing stories coming out of China, how they're doing this to reduce coal uh, reliance or any of that, it's all nonsense. Uh, they don't have enough coal. They don't have enough, which is called thermal energy, which is two thirds of their total economy. In terms of power, nuclear is maybe 5%. There's some other pieces mixed in there like uh, uh, natural gas and uh, renewables even. But the whole point is this is a problem, and this is going to lead to a bunch of factory shutdowns. In many cases, our factories have gone from six-day-a-week production down to two to three days, which yeah. is like having production. Hmm. Have you seen uh, reports about these, this? You know, yeah, I've heard about reports of it as well, like full shutdowns for some people, depending because factories don't always work off a great margin. And if they're struggling to get the materials in, they can't mass produce anyway. And then there's on the flip side, you've got other factories that have gone down to part time and just getting out and cranking out the door what they can. Yeah. And by the way, this is not the only problem, right? There's a handful of COVID cases happening in China. And in August, for example, seven districts were labeled high risk and 191 uh, districts in China labeled mid-risk. These are 
um, uh, kind of party jurisdiction or party districts, not cities or, or what have you. They cover more than one area. But like my team right now, in many cases, can't travel even from city to city in China. Yeah. The problem is zero tolerance leads to extraordinarily unpredictable supply chain. And just so you know, this is not just limited to cutting power at factories. It's hitting homes. It's hitting hospitals. It's hitting red lights, you know, the traffic signals. This is more than just uh, uh, a passive problem. And it will continue all winter long until we get back to, you know, maybe April. Yeah. Uh, by the way, COVID uh, is going to continue to disrupt because it's not just China. Our stuff in Malaysia is jammed up. Our stuff in Vietnam is jammed up because, again, many of these countries have adopted this zero tolerance perspective. And, of course, Ningbo had one person, maybe it was maybe it was up to four people, but it was a, less than 10 people tested positive for COVID in the Ningbo port, and they shut down the entire North American and European terminals in that Ningbo port for two weeks, which wow. created, that's their fifth biggest uh, port in China. And it just created absolute additional pains. Uh, did you have any stuff come out of Ningbo? I don't know how much you do out of there, uh, but it hit no, us pretty hard. Not, not, not me personally. Right this moment, just for clarification, I am not an Amazon seller. I sold through my brand over the last few months because we're launching a glassware brand in the US from January. So what's I, I'm one of the people that are holding off. I'm waiting for some of the chaos to calm down. And then we've got six products lined up for that. So as I speak, I am not an Amazon seller and it's been like that for a couple of months. Well, it's a good time to be on the sidelines, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, these strict lockdowns have a costume, not just you know um, the, the obvious cost of disruption and so forth, but like just even testing. So I don't remember the exact count of people, but dozens of people in the Wuhan area, the Hebei province, uh, were tested positive for coronavirus. That's led to an, a population of around 20 plus million being tested five times. Yeah. The, just the pure cost of those tests and the disruption of people and locking them down in their houses has substantial, not just financial costs, but there are other uh, you know, kind of unpredictable costs. Uh, but again, the ports are choking. This is today. This is not 18 months ago when all this started. This is today. And we've got these realities of people now locking their houses in China again uh, as the Delta uh, expands. And the the little love notes we get from various companies. In this case, you know, Singapore does a lot of electronics and they can't get enough stuff. So they're going to miss a bunch of Christmas shipments. Yeah. Nike has said, we don't have enough shoes for Q4. Costco said we don't have enough toilet paper and, and we can go around the world to find these shortages. This is not unique. In fact, I think if most people go to their store shelves, they're going to see small in Western countries. It's small, maybe five to 15 percent impact, lower quantities or rationing of some level. Have you seen any of that in your area, Danny? I haven't personally, no. That's good. So in Western countries, we don't see very much, but in the less developed world, it is much more impactful. And believe me, inventory wins in Q4. If you have inventory in Q4, you will be uh, much better positioned than your competition because it is going to be hard to move stuff. And then, of course, uh, as I said earlier, you know, China. Or should we say, you, Steve, fully optimize programming for your inventory in Q4? Because you can have a load of inventory, but if you messed up your timings and are not on the beat with everything, 
it can be quite much more of a disaster. But yeah, those are when who have optimized their free PL and they're keeping a razor sharp eye on everything in terms of when they should be replenishing stock. Indeed. Yeah. As a matter of fact, just to, to uh, you know, add my two cents on that point, having inventory means it's saleable, it's shippable, yes. right? Of, and of so course. if you don't, if you have inventory sitting off the coast of Long Beach, Waving high to the Christmas season as it goes by, not so good, right? Yeah, and if yeah. you don't understand how to move into 3PLs and these types of um, kind of ninja tactics you need to take because Amazon keeps changing the, the rules, you're less in a position to win regardless of how much inventory you've produced. You've yeah. got to have it ready to sell. And that is part of our mission is really yeah. to, to encourage you guys to be sophisticated about it. Um, by the way, I, again, I just like to clarify because I, I heard a couple people over the course of the last month. They said, well, Steve, really, isn't China just doing this to be more green? Uh, they feel guilty about burning coal and, you know, they're they're really trying to be better you know, global citizens. And you don't take hospitals offline. You don't take factories or uh, you don't take homes offline. It's one thing to say I'm going to shut down some factories uh, to, to go green. But this is not what that is. And when you look at, I think I'm not sure if it still stands now. But in if we if we looked at searches, internet searches online, in China, it's money is the number one search online. So that gives you an indication. Whereas in the West, it's sex. Not to throw, throw you know uh, some shade there, but you can see the difference between the two. So if they're thinking about going green, and their number one search is money. I think uh, that's probably going to be quite false in terms of uh, uh, of of what you just said. Well, and so you you have just applied one of the most important lessons that I've learned in my life, which is watch what they do, not what they say. Exactly. Right? And when they when they do these factory shutdowns, but they know we all know that the quest for you know financial freedom or or money or ambition is running amok. Uh, particularly in, in China as a cultural touchstone, no criticism, by the way. Uh, and I, I should just point out that, you know, Danny and I are huge fans of, you know, the Chinese people and, and their extraordinary accomplishments. Uh, you know, speaking just strictly from a observation perspective, I have no issue with whatever, you know, uh, the Chinese people want to do. I've got some issues maybe sometimes with the government policies, but I got issues with my own government policy. If that's someone's culture, that's their culture. Let them get on exactly. with it. It's not, it's not our problem. We've got, we've got our own things to worry about, to worry about that. I was just giving an example of when they're talking about going green and that it's very much in China. People are motivated by money and business and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just what their culture leads on. Exactly. Yeah. And again, that's precisely an observation that is uh, happening and, and reasonable. So here are some facts, right? Zero tolerance is actually one of the biggest problems that is slowing down the recovery. Um, you know, say what you will about, you know, the United States, even the UK, to some extent, we remained largely open. We had our periods of lockdown and, and they took different forms at different times. But I was just in London and that's one of the freest places I ever, you know, have ever witnessed during this whole process. Right. It's as free as Texas or Florida, um, despite, you know, kind of uh, rhetoric and, and kind of policy, uh, even postings. People were largely just walking around as free citizens. And that's because they have a high vaccination rate and other things that we don't need to get into. But the opposite is zero tolerance. That's not working. 
and it's crippling economies. Malaysia, Vietnam, etc. New Zealand, just ask them uh, how it's going because they're abandoning ship. And so yeah. is Singapore. Yeah, I spoke to friends in Australia. They said in Australia, it's the longest of the lockdowns of all. I think it was up to, at that point when I spoke to him, it's 236 uh, consecutive days. It, which barely is any insane. cases. Yeah, insane. it's really unacceptable. The psychological damage that will do to their nation. We won't see that be unprecedented. That's going to be, you'll see that in the next two to three years. The, you know. I totally agree with you. And, and that's, it, it goes so deep. And unfortunately, we don't have time to get into it. But that is one of the biggest things that is yet, as yet, uncalculated and was quite unintentional, right? Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, it's happening. So Singapore is abandoning it. And they, they have a spike, but they're not quitting. Uh, COVID zero is, is done for Singapore. Uh, more and more in Asia, uh, people are saying zero COVID doesn't work. Uh, New Zealand has abandoned the policies I just mentioned. And China is mostly worried about that. They're like, uh, you know, if they're you know, not doing that, what does that mean for us? They have remained largely uh, in the zero tolerance, entirely in zero tolerance. But yet they're yeah, trying but then to again, have... we know from history and their culture is that that's almost an expected thing. And that's what people expect. You can't run zero on the US and the UK because no one will tolerate it. And that's the thing. They will simply not tolerate it. And we won't have militia out and doing what they would do in China and the UK because it's against human rights. Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so... Um, just just to put a fine point on this, if China's zero COVID policy continues, it will worsen their debt problems for the companies inside of China. And and really part of the point here is that if it's a lose-lose, right? If China maintains the zero tolerance, we're going to have unexpected pockets being shut down for as, as far as the eye can see within China. And if they abandon it, it could be a massively negative impact to their health and welfare because they don't have all the infrastructure needed to cope with the inevitable cases. If if Delta has shown us anything, it's that everybody's going to get this thing at one point or another, even if you don't know you got it, which is for every people who are asymptomatic, the estimates are four to five asymptomatic people for one kind of symptomatic person. And then a very narrow percentage of those get, you know, very, very sick uh, and worse. But it, both of those are lose-lose for China, right? If you, if you lock down, you got problems, and if you don't lock down, you got problems. So I don't relish uh, their position, to be honest. So, Danny, now we need to talk about what do people do now? Is triage is a word we use here in the U.S. Do you guys use triage? Triage. It's a French word, so that's why I ask. Oh, it's not something in my vocabulary. <laughs> All right, so triage. I'm glad that we uh, get this yeah. chance to share. Um, Triage, uh, again, I say it's French, but what do I know? It's it's in a hospital setting where a patient comes in and you got to do triage, which means as fast as we can right. figure out how to save yeah, the yeah. patient, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the fastest things that we want to do to try to help our business. And yeah. this is the five things that you guys need to do as sellers right now. Hmm. And I'm going to go through these things relatively quick, but – it's really important that you think about doing this actively in your business right now. So these are action steps. Um, the first thing is asking your supplier to cooperate with you. And I will just tell you, I'm going to give you these um, ideas, but it's harder now than it was 
before the pandemic. It's IT harder now than it was yeah. a year ago. It's harder now than it was six months ago. Because there are things happening in China, which we'll talk in subsequent parts of this mini-series, that are dramatically impacting their ability, your Chinese factories, your, your partners over there making your products, it's affecting their ability to conduct business. Yeah. But in principle, these are still things that you need to consider asking for and, and ask for cooperation. That's an important word in China, cooperation. Mm. So making sure the price quotes that you get uh, have an effective date that's farther down the line. Uh, even ourselves, uh, where we buy some pretty decent volume, we're only getting price quotes to hold for days not weeks or months. Um, of course, if you are paying down payments, ask, you know, hey, can we remove the down payment? I'll just pay you when it ships, if, if that's how you do it. Hmm. And beyond that, what if I pay you nothing down and I pay you 60 to 90 days after it ships? Yeah. Uh, that's but how do we you think, do. Do you also, time. yeah, but you're in a different position, but don't, I mean, there was a time where, you know, 60, 90 days after shipping and stuff, Factories are willing to work with that, but with the pandemic, the shortage of materials, and the and the crisis now, I think, and I may be wrong, there are people out there who are paying up front just to get their nose in front on stuff. So they're kind of working towards people with, well, if we if you pay us, we'll put your products out first. But in your position, Steve, you got not the luxury you built your own business, but you're in a position where you've done all that history, huge volume. And they probably wouldn't want to lose you as a customer. Not that you want the pain to switch in, but for smaller sellers, they will struggle with this. Would you agree? Indeed. I totally agree. And and just to be perfectly clear, the suggestion Danny just gave yeah. uh, is exactly what we will do, right? Yeah. Sometimes we will pay faster than they expect, or we'll even pay a little bit more to move to the front of the line. That's how yeah. China works. Whoever pays fastest pays more often wins, particularly in this climate. So even as I put this out there, and I do want people to understand what Sinosure is and to be able to cooperate with their factories long-term on payment terms, but the, today's reality is cash wins. There's yeah. a lot of risk. They're having to pay all their people even faster. And so liquidity is gets rewarded. Um, yeah. But knowing this process, because this works anytime, anywhere, uh, you can ask for these things. But here's part of it, and I'll get to the punchline here in a minute. For every time they say no to something, they are closer to saying yes to something else. Yeah. Right. And so when they say no to the first four things, maybe they will say yes to number five, where they give you a DDP price, which means deliver duty paid, and they become the importer of record. You'll be shocked at the economics that they are able to get on that versus you. And I'm not going to go into the, uh, the details on that, but let's just say that's a that is a something you can put in place right now. Ask your supplier for a DDP price and compare that to your DDP that you can get on your own. Indeed. So it, it is harder to get these right now, but these same concepts apply to any supplier anywhere in the world at all times. And then maybe one of the two suppliers you use for the same item will say yes to you know two of the two of the five instead of all you know zero of the five. I do want to emphasize that if you don't have history or volume, you you lack leverage or leverage, as mm. the British might say. So if you don't have volume, you can't make unreasonable demands. Relationships pay the dividends. Unreasonable demands get shut down hard. Yeah. Right? That's basically Indeed. exactly uh, Danny's point. Yeah. 
Okay, the next thing that I highly recommend you do is, you know, particularly for freight right now, is run RFQ processes. Um, this is request for quotes for those uh, not in the lingo. And we think of, you know, getting shipping as a system, right? So we will go into our, our computer and we will make a request for quotation. Uh, it will, you know, include messages and terms, very specific details about origin, destination, HS code, weights, um, you know, every single thing that they need to, to give a proper RFQ. And then we will send that out to a number of shippers in this moment. Shipping is, is a big point of problem for us. I mean, our, our shipping costs have quintupled. Uh, that's, you know, tens of millions a year uh, potential problem. And by doing this, you, you make sure that you're paying the most competitive rate because it's a market. And secondly, you open yourself up to wider capacity because you can get the lowest price, but if you can't ship it, it doesn't matter. What do you think, Danny? Did I lose you? Sorry, my mic was muted. I said you're stuck. You're limited by the resources around you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And this is, this is part of the point is capacity wins. So even if you had to pay 2000 more for a container that actually arrives in time versus one that is going to stay stuck, you have to make those decisions on the fly. So yeah, and also manufacturing and having stuff on the factory floor that you're storing there in, in China itself. Correct. This is, again, many times we will say, you know what, go ahead and make three containers worth of the stuff, but ship one this month, one next month, and one the following month. And then if sales exceeds, we can push those things forward. Yeah. So thinking about that, now I understand capital and I understand timing. We can't always do these things. Once you get an RFQ completed, it's going to have the same level playing field for all the shippers, right? They know all the details they need to know. Uh, in our case, they log back into the system and they tell us what the price is. And then we make decisions based on timing, capacity, price, and relationship, not just price. Yeah. Let me be clear. Okay, so that that's process two. Process three, Danny, is lawful tariff and uh, code, you know, HTC or H, uh, H code, whatever you guys refer to it. This is where you try to make sure that you're using the best code that you can. Hmm. And in the case of, you know, a shoe, as just one example, Danny, uh, there are 436 ways to classify a shoe. Yeah. And a boy's running shoe. Oh, go ahead. It's going to say, I can't remember who it was, but um, one leading Adidas, Nike, or whatever, but they had something to do with something on the tongue of the shoe or the sole. And they were able to switch the code over, which dramatically reduced it. So it's worth going, what you're going to say is to go through the different codes and optimize where you sit in there, because sometimes you could be spread across a few. Yeah, precisely right. In fact, Danny's example there, Converse shoes. Throw felt, yeah. They throw felt on the bottom and those, you know, a shoe import is 27 and a half percent duty on that, but imported slippers range between three and 12%. So mm. just by throwing felt on the bottom, that defines it as a slipper. And in this case uh, that I mentioned in a, a, a boy's jogger, right? A, a, a boy's running shoe. If you just change the top <clears throat> of the shoe to include more textile instead of leather, it cuts the duty from potentially 37.5% to 8%. Yeah. 
Yeah. It doesn't take long to get creative. And by the way, visually, often people can't even tell the difference. Performance-wise, they can't tell the difference. So you have to think about engineering in a, in a fruitful way. Yeah. And just to give another example, in a woman's uh, shirt or blouse coming into the United States, the it can be as high as 26.9%, but it drops to 16% if they put a pocket below the waistline. Right. So these tiny little details can become a big difference for you. And one final. Oh, go ahead, Danny. No, I was going to say it's probably going to be a massive fashion burst there, you know, because obviously clothes, fashion clothes goes in a series of seasons across the year. So there'll be a lot of people walking around with low pockets. Yeah. And again, if you don't know that by adding a pocket, you can cut 10 percent off your duty below the waist in this case then you you know it's hard for you to compete against the competition that has that and and this should lead you to ask questions when you're ordering your competitive items and you see something that doesn't make sense on the item start thinking is this related to tariff and you know hts engineering yeah. and the the example we gave earlier about the converse all-stars again just fuzzy lining uh puts down uh or on the sole of a shoe it has no functional benefits but it cuts your duty you know by as much as 10 times it could be a 10x cut if done in a certain way so i want you guys to think about that and one final example is if you make a non-waterproof jacket uh it's 27 percent duty coming to the us but just adding water resistance which costs you maybe four percent maybe up to six percent that lowers the duty down to seven percent so you save 20 you might spend you know five or six of that on the waterproofing but that little detail, you've increased the feature, maybe higher perceived value, and you've lowered the duty substantially. Yeah. Uh, these are important things. What do you think about all that, Danny? It's a lot to take in, but definitely for optimization. We just had a friend who sold uh, their business, and one of the things is when the codes come up in the deal in Discovery, it was going to maybe knock off maybe half, half a million to 750 grand off the value. Uh, and then they went back and got some legal jargon and stuff together and worked with a specialist. And they were able to get that added back in because it was it was passed from the discovery team and, and the hires up to sign off on the deal. So they, by making one phone call and, and working with an expert to make them adjustments, they, they gained back what they lost of 500 to 750K. Yeah, it's a great example, right? So we're thinking tactically of day-to-day -day profits and, and you know, P&L basis, but all of that, especially when you exit, has a massive multiplier effect, right? Yeah. And so there are specialists, there are law firms, there are specialty companies that, that help you with that. You don't do it on your first day in business, you know, just do your best and work with your factory and work with your freight forwarder. You don't have to be an expert on day one. But over time, you need to get better and better and better and make sure that your competition doesn't know things that you don't. Because yeah. if you are selling jackets and they are paying, you know, 20 percent less in duties than you, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I've also heard and I need to confirm this, but I'll share it anyway and people can look into it themselves. We're talking about ad backs now with the adjustments in the markets as well. If you were to uh, sell the business and you paid high freight at a period of time, the market regulates the brokers and people like that are always checking for ad backs to put it back into your business. So then obviously you're you'll receive that because the market itself is, is regulated or it could regulate in that period while still going through the sale. 
Yep. Yep. Very good point. And I think that's, you know, again, one of the reasons to understand your numbers and, and also have very good resources as you go through the process. Um, by the way, the, the fourth method here is to consider relocation of your supply chain, right? So uh, there are lots of big companies that are considering this. Uh, Nike, you know, moving a lot out of Southeast Asia uh, into Africa. Uh, Apple moving a bunch of stuff into India. Uh, there are lots of examples, you know, of Microsoft and GoPro and Black & Decker all doing stuff in either other countries or even into the United States. Uh, and then... You know, Under Armour is a great example because they're shifting to places like Jordan and Vietnam and Philippines, Indonesia, places that might not be on the top of your, like, I don't know how many people go, I should make some stuff in Jordan. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you're a textile business, there are some advantages. And I, we'll talk more about this in the next uh, segment. But as you think about your product, you think about where your product is sold, your primary market. So that's the geographic area of sales. And then your mission over time will be to try to get the raw materials and the production as close to that market as you can. And the key there is raw materials, which we'll talk about later. Should we just, I just want to quickly cover for people, if you don't mind, Steve, from your perspective, you've done mm. some relocation stuff. Sure. The problems with not just the cost of labor and everything, the problems of relocating to the US, could that be ideal? If you sell on on dot com because it's the biggest of the all the Amazon platforms, right? But what what are the big? You must have looked into this. What are the the big problems? Because I don't see on your list if I'm right. I've seen Texas on there. That's it, pretty much. That there's one company which is Dell moving thirty percent to Texas. But the what are these impacts? If people want to spend six months trying to find factories over in the US and stuff to look at it, are they completely wasting their time? And what will they come up against in terms of costs and problems? So it this is a complex question and one that we're going to get into a subsequent oh, okay. uh, right. segments. Yeah. But I, I do want to just emphasize that you can't just flip a switch and go, well, I was buying this you know, uh, consumer-based product in China. And then I said, oh, well, I just called the factory USA hotline. And now I got a guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a little bit more, but it's easier for me. That's not how things work in the real world. China, exactly. their strength came from making it easy. It's like, can you make what's in this picture? They're like, yes, we can. Right? Klee, that's how the Chinese say it. Yes, we can. And so you can't just simply replace China because you have a mental shift. Yeah. But I will tell you that the U.S. has three critical things going for it that yeah. China does not. Again, in uh, we'll segment in three, segment. we're going to talk about. And But you need power, you need raw materials, or you need people. Yeah. And also, the U.S. has a neighbor called Mexico, which we're going to get into. Yeah. And there is a way to do this, and we will we'll allude to some of those things. I can't tell everybody how to do it exactly because yeah. it's complex. But my whole point is you have to start thinking now about what does your supply chain look like three years from now. Yeah. It's not just a switch. You have to start learning. You have to think about how you make stuff. What are the actual processes? What are the core raw materials? And then how do you put all of that in? Where most Amazon sellers were just, hey, I found something. It, it looked like it would rank well, and now I'm selling it. That's fine to get started. That's fine to prove the concept and build the resume and build cash flow. But over time, if you're going to do volume, you need to start becoming more sophisticated. Indeed. All right. And the, by the way, one of the big reasons why people are 
are moving is U.S.-China political tensions, which uh, I don't know if those get any press over there in uh, England. Uh, have you ever heard of this? I, to be honest, I don't read much press and I barely watch the news on the TV and stuff, but I don't think it is, uh, what's the word, is it impactful for a UK that it is for the US? Because obviously US is heavily uh, driven by news anyway, and uh, they need a lot of news stories. And you've got multiple channels like we have in the UK, but the newsreel in the US is much more aggressive, much more going on than I would say the UK. For sure. Yeah, and I, I do think that, you know, it's well known that the U.S. and China are kind of economic rivals and more and more they're thinking of, you know, kind of where that Cold War will go. Uh, yeah. And that that's problematic globally. And we'll talk more about that later. But uh, point number five on our triage list is watching your margins. Right. Uh, the, the old saying, revenue is vanity, profit sanity. Right. It doesn't matter how much turnover you have if you can't keep any of it and invest that into new products and inventory and so forth. So price go up. I, yeah. I absolutely guarantee you that there will be inventory and pricing, uh, you know, winners in Q4, particularly yeah. if you understand to hold. So you have two options, really. Increase prices to deal with increased shipping, raw materials and inflation or hold prices, which lowers your margin and try to take market share. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you take market share on a single use product with no customer funnel, what have you gained, right? You've only gained the kind of disposition of that inventory out the door and it's been a transaction, but there's nothing that's equity. If you're selling something where they're going to buy it again and again, that, that may be a good strategy. Yeah. Now, again, there's the long-term flywheel of reviews and, ranking and so on and so forth. So I, I'm not taking away from that, but I do want you guys to think about margin. I do want to think about price. Uh, what do you think about that stuff, Danny? Yeah, I think over across the board, as I said, even though everyone's in the same shit, right? So it's a level playing field. So at some point there's going to be a price increase because no one can hold. They have to support their margins. And if they have to increase the price, people will follow. There are going to be some people that are hold off longer because they've got more cash on hand to try and ride it out. But I just think that people may need to accept slightly lower sales, but focus on their margins. I definitely am a believer in making money for all this work that you're doing. There yeah. are strategic times where you can, you know, do a lower margin, even no margin sales, but your business doesn't work if you don't have, you know, contribution margin. You're not in business. You're, you're running a liability. If you don't make a profit, you're not in business. You're out of business. Yeah, that's completely right. So really, this is kind of the end of this, you know, segment number two, part two of our little mini series. Uh, the, in part three, we're going to talk about the, the underlying causes. So most of the things we've talked about are symptoms. Obviously, yeah. COVID is an underlying cause, but inflation, that is a symptom of a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, power problems, that's a symptom of a problem. Uh, labor costs rising, that's a symptom of a problem. We're going to talk about the underlying causes of what we've already kind of gotten into and really yeah. describe why this is a strategic problem yeah. coming up for the next 10 years. And again, no part of this is like, you know, light your house on fire and run for your lives. This is get smart, get educated. You know, we're trying to train you all as the executives, the CEOs of your business, so you can lead your team into the future. Danny? Yeah. 
I agree. Totally agree. So we'll sign off now, Steve. Thanks for this one. Don't forget, this is the dual cast through Seller Sessions podcast and also Steve's Awesomers podcast. Take care of yourself and your family, and we'll be back in the next episode for part three.